Good day, all. Welcome to another season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, your one and only Dr. Kamla D. Here to teach you Bible truth, to help you grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace by teaching Bible truth, not my truth, Bible truth. Here we read scriptures that contain God's word. Remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is the last day of the year 2022. Today is Saturday, December the 31st. I hope this day is finding you and your family well. I am the host, founder, and teacher, your one and only, Dr. Kamala D. Now, today I will be playing the very last episode of Dr. Frederick Casey Price's epic series, Race, Religion, and Racism. This is, when I tell you the very last episode of that epic series, it is the very last episode. He will be talking about the contributions of black people throughout this world, not just the United States, but throughout this world. Now, before I start, I would like to make a correction from last week's episode of A Faith That Surpasses All Understanding. When I was talking about the devout man that God told that he would not pass away until he saw his salvation, I called him Simon. Now, I'm quite sure some of you caught it because you were reading along with me. And I said it three times. His name is Simeon. Please forgive me. Now, I actually didn't know I was saying Simon until I heard the episode play live on Spotify. Yes, so saints, uh, look, this is not an excuse. This is a reason, but I was extremely tired and I had recorded that session in two parts, uh, two different days. You guys just didn't know it. And I said, whenever I am that exhausted again, I will not record because I had no clue that I was saying Simon. And clearly his name is Simeon. When I heard it play back, I was saying, Simon, his name isn't Simon. His name is Simeon. Then I realized I'm the one saying it. So with that said, saints, let's get this truth on the road. On the subject of race, religion, and racism. And this subject area has uh, stirred up a lot of things in the minds and hearts of people over the time that I have been teaching this series. So you may be led to write me a letter. And these are the ground rules. If you write me a letter and expect me personally to read your letter, whether in private or if I should decide to use it as an object lesson, never to put the finger on a person, but simply to illustrate the truths that I've been bringing out in this series, you must have your full name and mailing address on your letter or I will not read it. You have to have your full name and mailing address on the letter or I will not read it. Those are the ground rules. Very simple, not a problem. Now, uh, this will be our last session on race, religion, and racism. It is over. This is the uh, most awesome thing that I have ever done since I have been in the ministry. It's the longest running series that I have ever taught. Um, I taught a series on um, the Christian family one year, and it took me 40 weeks to teach that. And I thought that was astronomical. But I think I have been teaching this, uh, let's see. No, I, right, so how many months altogether? An, a year and eight months. Thank you, I didn't hear the year part. Thank you very much. This is the longest series, but I think it's been beneficial. Anybody get anything out of this so far? All right. <clears throat> All right. Um, now, for those of you that are watching my TV, you're going to obviously ask, probably, you're going to say, what's wrong with Brother Price? Nothing. Nothing. Don't I look all right? Not a thing wrong. Nothing wrong. Everything is right. Now, last time... I was sharing with you from um, a book entitled 
African American First by Joanne Potter with Constant Clayton, published by Pinto Press, Elizabethtown, New York, copyright 1994. My purpose in using this to sort of wrap up uh, our series is to give some information about the accomplishments of blacks in American history. Because traditionally, we have not been in our schools taught about the contributions that have been made by blacks. Black folks don't know it, white folks don't know it, red, brown, and yellow folks don't know it. And everyone has assumed, because of the way our nation has dealt with blacks in America, that we have never made any substantial contributions, that we've never really done anything. We've been a drain on society. We're the reason for crime. We're the reason for welfare. And, and that's the portrayal that has been portrayed, and it's totally untrue. My purpose in doing this, as I said last time, is not to show us up over or better than anyone else, but just to show us up in the real light that's true. It'll be good for blacks and it'll be good for whites because that's where the big problem has been here in America in terms of racism and racial and ethnic and color prejudice. And so it's good for us to know. Now, I realize that in later years now, there have been some schools that have offered special black study programs and things like that. But I'm talking about generally in the normal textbooks of our schools down through the years, we have not been made aware or included in those history books to let others know that we have made contributions, that we have not been bloodsuckers that have just sucked out of the, of the system and out of our country and never made any uh, viable contributions. So that's the purpose of this. It's historical. It's all documented information. Uh, a lot of this information in doing my research on it, I found it out. But this particular book sort of puts it in a nutshell, if you would, and gives you some way to track back because, you know, it would be easy to say so-and-so did so-and-so, but can you document that? And some blacks, we've been so conditioned and so brainwashed, it is, it's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to believe that we've ever done anything, that we've ever really made any substantial contributions. But brother, sister, we have, not just in America, really all over the world. But uh, uh, since we're Americans and we're here in America, uh, this is what I'm concerned with. So in this book, um, uh, African American First. Now, last time we left off talking about, <laughs> of all things, the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> and you might wonder, well, what in the world is, does that have to do with uh, Christianity? Well, what we're doing is pointing out the fact that um, blacks have made contributions, blacks have been in areas of uh, very high visibility, but never really been given the recognition and the credit for it. And I was pointing out uh, on page 251 in uh, African American First, under number 10, uh, the question is asked, who was the first jockey to win the Kentucky Derby three times? Considered by some to be the greatest jockey of the 19th century, Isaac, known as Ike Murphy, was born near Lexington, Kentucky in 1861. During his 20-year career, Murphy raced 1,412 times and won 628 of those races. He won his first Kentucky Derby in 1884 and won it again in 1890 and 1891. Now, one of the reasons that I'm including this particular one, there were so many, I couldn't include all of them. We'd be here for another year and eight months. But the reason I included that one was to show you how forcible racism has been in America. When the rich plantation owners first started using horse racing as a pastime and as a diversion, they always would have black slaves to ride the horses. Because sometimes they would have these horses, these stallions, and they would be kind of rambunctious and they'd buck and kick and sometimes throw the riders off. So they put the blacks on so that if they got thrown off, it'd break the black bones, break the black neck. No whites would be injured. Then when uh, racing horses became sort of a, a real sport, if you would, all of the jockeys at first were black. Now, unless they've changed it, the last time... I had any exposure to horse racing, they didn't have any jockeys that were black. 
but all the blacks at first, all the jockeys were black. And I was pointing out to you that uh, I know I've seen it here in Southern California. I don't see it much now because I think some people made such a ruckus about it that people thought that it was kind of like a put down. But you would see on the on the front lawns of people's houses a little miniature statue of a jockey holding a little ring. And I think some people, some blacks took it as though it was offensive. No, actually what that was was really demonstrating the fact these were actually jockeys that actually lived. And all the jockeys at first were black. You didn't know that. They didn't teach you that in school. And Isaac, um, Ike Murphy was the first person, black man, to win three Kentucky Derbies. <clears throat> now, Alan, uh, where is um, where is your where's your where's your where's your son? Is he? Oh, there he is. There he is. He's a he's a golfer. Now, you, you, you probably didn't know this. He might know this, but I don't know if he knew it or not. But anybody here, anybody here golfer? Do we have any golfers here? Raise your hand, all you golfers like to think you know how to play golf anyway. Well, you know, when they when they uh, when they put the little white ball down, uh, ball down on the ground, they have a little thing. I think they're plastic now, aren't they? I know, but they're plastic, aren't they? They have a little thing that they stick in the ground that has a little hollow point on it, a little hollowed out at the top, and they set the ball on there called a golf tee. Did you know that a black man invented the golf tee? Did you know that? A black man invented and patented the golf tee. Before he had done that, basically, in order to, to uh, play golf, they would sort of build up a little a little dirt mound, just like a little round mound, and then they would sit the ball on top of that dirt mound, and they'd hit the ball from there. But a black doctor, a dentist rather, invented the golf tee. Uh, in December 1899, Dr. George F. Grant, Grant, a graduate of Harvard University and a well-known dentist, patented the wooden golf tee. Before this invention, as I said, golfers had to balance their little balls on a mound of dirt. He didn't know that. They didn't tell us that. See, we're right, we're right in line with it, see? We've done a lot of things people didn't know about. On page 263, under number 12, the question is asked, what rodeo star was the first to practice bulldogging? This is a term that's used in rodeos, if you know anything about that. Bill Pickett, an African-American born in Texas in 1860, became one of the most popular rodeo performers of all times. Pickett gained fame for inventing the art of bulldogging, in which he rode, <clears throat> rode after a steer, grabbed its horns, twisted its head back, sank his teeth into its upper lip, and wrestled it to the ground. <laughs> The hair-raising feet of Pickett and his horse Spradlite attracted crowds to rodeos throughout the country. Pickett was inducted, now listen to this now, he was born in 1860, so he probably died in the early part of the 1900s. And it wasn't until uh, 1971, we always get our accolades after it's over, after it's done. Look like always grudgingly they give us credit after 1971. He was inducted into the Cowboy Hall of Fame. The first African American to receive this honor. On page 264, in the book entitled Sex and Race, Volume 1, by J.A. Rogers. On page 48, J.A. Rogers, by the way, was a black historian. On page 48, copyright by Helga M. Rogers, 9th edition, 1967, J.A. Rogers points out the fact, and I quote, Archaeologists generally agree that it was the Negro who first discovered the secret of iron. See, 
I'm telling you, the game has been played on us. That's, I think iron is a pretty important item in our modern world, isn't it? You know, iron, you know, not ironing clothes, but iron. Yes. In Sex and Race, that's in the quote, In Sex and Race, Volume 2, by J.A. Rogers, copyright 1942, renewed 1970 by Helga M. Rogers, published by Helga M. Rogers, J.A. Rogers points out some other interesting tidbits. On page 177, I quote, Brave Negroes were welcomed into the Indian tribes, and several became chiefs. One of the most noted of the latter was James P. Beckworth, who became chief of the Crow Crow Indians. Beckworth, who was a noted trapper and later a United States Scouts, was one of the founders of Denver, Colorado. We didn't know this. White folks didn't know it. Black folks didn't know it. So we don't need to be ashamed of ourselves. And of our heritage. On page 177 and 178 of that same book, Rogers points out this interesting fact. It's going to blow you away. This interesting fact. Quote, in early Illinois and Wisconsin were also a goodly number of Negroes, some of whom were free, who amalgamated with the Indians. The Jesuits had a farm with 68 Negro slaves who served as farmers, blacksmith, carpenters, brewers, and masons. Says Priestley, another historian that Rogers is quoting, the most noted of the free Negroes was Juan de Sable, a Saint Domingo Negro who was the founder of the city of Chicago. We've done a whole lot of things. I'm telling you, they, they, they've robbed us and cheated us. You ought to feel good about yourself. We've been involved in a lot of stuff. Now, there's so much more information out there about blacks that it would take years to sift through it all. But I hope that the little I have shared will inspire you, both blacks and whites, to pursue the subject on your own. The more truth we know about each other, the easier it will be for us to fellowship with each other in spirit and in truth. The world is dying and it needs the life that Jesus came so long ago to bring. But that life can only be seen through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church. Men and women, boys and girls from every nation, every color, every tribe and every kindred. Jesus is counting on us. The world needs to see us as Christians, not as black, white, red, brown, or yellow. Jesus' words carry more truth today than they ever did before. Turn to John chapter 13. <clears throat> Look at some of our final scriptures that we'll use. chapter 13 God the Father and Jesus the Son who gave his life for us has been depending upon us we are all that God has we are all that Jesus has he did not commission and send the angels to proclaim the gospel. He did not send the angels and commission them to walk among men, to give men an example of how to walk by faith and not by sight. But he gave that commission to us, blood-bought, blood-washed, redeemed people of God. We are all that God has. I wonder, is God in trouble? I wonder, is Jesus in trouble? Because we're all that he has. And we have not presented to the world a solid front 
of unity in the body of Christ like we should. We've been more concerned about perpetuating our own warped, overblown ideas about our self-importance. We have been very careful to be sure to present to the world that white is right and black is not. This is what we portrayed here in the church in America. And we see it in society. I've said this over and over again during the course of the series. Jesus said it this way. He said, you are the light of the world. He never said you're the light of the church. He said you're the light of the world. Which says to me that the world should be able to look at the church and see the light. But what kind of light have we been presenting to the world? Division. Prejudice. Racism. Superiority complex. Inferiority complex. We have not been presenting to the world the true picture of Jesus the Christ. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. He didn't say you're the salt of the church. He said you're the salt of the earth. We've been very introspective. We have kept our light hidden as it were under a bushel. And during all the time of the 2,000 years it has allowed other isms to come up and cause great confusion in the world. But we've got to walk together. We have got to understand that we are one in Christ. We've got to understand and learn to appreciate one another. This is the reason I believe that God gave me the directive to share the things that I've shared during this series. So that we can begin to see that people are people are people are people are people are people are people. Everyone given the same opportunity and the same tools to work with can basically produce the same things. That God has placed in mankind different talents and different abilities. And you notice no one what we call ethnic group has all of it. Although some have tried to act like they did, they don't. Because just like a lot of these things, and I got a whole lot of things to share with you before we finish, that it makes it look like only one race has all of it. They don't. God would never do that. He'd be a very unwise creator to do that. He would be leaving a false picture, making it look like that only one group has it all. No, he has spread out the talents and the abilities and the gifts among all peoples, and especially the church should be the one organism that ought to display and demonstrate to the world our unity. But we have been divided. But I believe that based upon this teaching that we're going to come together and be the church that the world wants to see. Now, John, John, listen to this. And, and the thing about this, this has been in the Bible all the time. John chapter 13, look at verse 34 and 35. It says a new commandment. Jesus is speaking. Is that Jesus is speaking. He says, listen to this now, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, by this, say by this, by this all will know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now he's talking to his blood-bought, blood-washed, redeemed people. Obviously, at this particular time, he was speaking to his disciples, but ultimately to the entire body of Christ. And he said, this is the way that the world will know that you're my disciples. They, they, they won't know it because of the great buildings that you build. They, they won't know it because of the, of the great choirs and the great music that you're able to present. They, they, they won't know it because of the great Christian universities that you establish. He said, they will know that you're my disciples because you have love one to another. Well, if you love me, you would never consign me to ride in the back of the bus. If you love me, you would never put a sign up over a drinking fountain, colored only. Even in some churches, a black person is still not welcomed in our nation today. See, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have love one for another. I would never lynch those I love. Church, we got a long way to go.
But the longest journey begins with the first step. If, you'll never, if you never make that step, you'll never get to the end. Now look at Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Racism, ethnic pride, ethnic prejudice, color prejudice. These are all learned things. They're not genetically transmitted, as I've said all throughout this message. So we've got to decide that we'll not be racist, that we'll not be racially and color and ethnic prejudice. That's a decision you make. And then you act accordingly. I don't care how you were taught. Yeah, but I was raised that way. Yeah, but if you were raised wrong, you're going to keep on doing it just because that was the way you were raised? When you find out the truth, your responsibility then is to act on that truth. And that's what you're going to be held accountable for. Not how you were raised, but on how you act on the truth that's been given to you. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Look at this, verse 13 and 14. It says, you are, this is what I quoted, but I wanted you to actually see it in the Bible. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are, the, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's us. That's our responsibility. We, the church, can no longer do business as usual. We can no longer see ourselves as we have in the past. I think Anthony T. Evans, in his book, Are Blacks Spiritually Inferior to Whites? That's the title of the book. Are Blacks Spiritually Inferior to Whites? 1992, copyright, by Anthony T. Evans, Renaissance Productions Incorporated, 601 Mantua Pike, Winona, New Jersey. Sums it up brilliantly when he says, and I want you to listen to this, you really learned something. Quote, that means to refer to oneself as a black Christian or a white Christian or a Mexican Christian or a Chinese Christian is technically incorrect. In these descriptions, the word, the word Christian becomes a noun that is modified by an adjective black, white, and so on. Our Christianity should never be modified by our culture. It should be just the opposite. We must see ourselves as Christian blacks, Christian whites, Christian Mexicans, or Christian Chinese. When, when we do, our culture will be modified by the nature of our Christian commitment. End of quote. That's awesome. I'm not a black Christian. I'm a Christian black. You're not a white Christian. You're a Christian white. And we need to see that. Now, <clears throat> um, I was uh, recently invited to go and minister in the country of Singapore. Well, Singapore is over in Asia. And... Uh, I've been to Singapore before for vacations. It's a beautiful city. Actually, in fact, it's about the cleanest city you've ever seen in your life. You can eat off the streets. I'm not kidding you. It's literally. It, and they're, they're tough. The Singapore don't play no games. It's the most beautiful airport you ever want to see. If you ever go to Singapore, I mean, the airport is just it's awesome. Beautiful city. Very clean. And uh, I, really wouldn't, I really wouldn't mind living in Singapore, and especially living under their laws. They don't play no games. If you're caught in an automobile with alcohol on your breath, you go to jail for life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Ain't no plea bargaining. Ain't no lawyers cutting no deals under the table. They got three judges that sit, they, they read the sentence, and then they judge you, and that's it. If you're caught with drugs, if they find any drugs on you, it is death. And so they don't really have no problems. They don't have many problems. Anyway, they have some problems. 
But I was invited to go to Singapore, and we were all set up to go. And uh, the minister that invited me, um, they requested some information from us uh, before we uh, could go. And uh, the government would not let me come. And uh, here's a letter, email that I received from uh, the minister. It says, uh, Dear Sister, he's writing to my secretary, Dear Sister, greeting in Jesus' name. I apologize for my delay in responding to you. I regret to inform you that the authorities have denied Dr. and Mrs. Price a permit to Singapore on the grounds that, and he quotes, it is our opinion that the individual holds radical and divisive views on the unity of races and as such would be unsuitable for the people of Singapore, end of quote. The minister goes on to say, I assume that they are referring to Dr. Price's recent series on race. Although there is no TB in here, the authorities must have checked up on the information I supplied them. They are very sensitive to anyone saying anything on such a topic and have been known to be quite unreasonable. The fact that it was to be a religious meeting did not help either. I have not heard anything from Dr. Price's series, but I do trust him as a man of the word. I would not have invited him otherwise. While I have assured the government that no harm will come of the meeting since we will be dealing with faith and have appealed the decision, they are nonetheless unconvinced. I am sorry that they have taken this stand. I believe many people will miss out on the blessings of God's word as a result of their decision. Please tell Dr. Price that I love him in the Lord and that I am sorry that it did not work out. Please see that he gets a copy of this email. Although I am not able to host Dr. Price at this time, I hope to be able to maintain a line of fellowship with him because despite what the government says, the ministry of Dr. Fred Price has very definitely been a blessing to me. I look forward to hearing from you and any comments Dr. Price may have. God bless you, sister, for all you are doing, Reverend James Tan. Now, he was writing to my secretary. They were doing the, the uh, correspondence. I got this letter. Uh, I said, you know what, I want to read this letter on nationwide television. But I would not want to do it if it was going to cause Reverend Tan any repercussions, you know, from the government. And so then I had my secretary to email him to ask him, would it be all right for me to read this correspondence, this email, to my congregation and then to the uh, television audience under my ministry? And so this is what he replied. Dear Brother Price, greetings in Jesus' name. I apologize for my delay in responding to you. Our offices were closed for a staff retreat. Of course, you may share my email with CCC and the television viewers. They have a right to know why their pastor had to cancel an overseas trip. I appreciate your ministry and look forward to keeping in touch with you. God bless you. So that's why I'm reading it. I got his permission first. But you see the subtlety here, problem. And Singapore is a mixed city, mostly Chinese, but there are some Malays and other people also there. So they do have a diverse uh, ethnic makeup. But uh, I'm sure what happened that probably the council here, uh, the, uh, the embassy here probably, because none of the people in Singapore haven't heard the message, but they probably watch it here and they probably told the people there. But this just goes to show you how strong this racism thing is. Amen. Now, I have a couple of other things that uh, I think that you would be very interested in. I received an email, another email, via television. Uh, via television. I received an email uh, on my computer, and uh, this, is very, this is very interesting, and I, I thought I ought to read this to you. Some of you may have picked it up off the Internet, but this is absolutely incredible and awesome. The subject is Dear Black Americans. Did you see them? Isn't that awesome? You, you, you remember it? Huh? Some of it? Oh, it's, it's awesome. Listen to this. Dear Black Americans. Dear Black Americans, after all of these years and all we have been through together, we think it's appropriate for us to show our gratitude for all you have done for us. We have chastised you, criticized you, punished you, and in some cases, even apologize to you. But we have never formally nor publicly thanked you for your never-ending allegiance and support of our cause. This is our open letter of thanks to a unique people, a forgiving people, a steadfast people, 
and a brave people. Black Americans, we will always be in debt to you for your labor. You built this country and were responsible for the, responsible for the great wealth we still enjoy today upon your backs, laden with the stripes we sometimes had to apply for disciplinary reasons. You carried our nation. We thank you for that. We thank you for your allegiance, your diligence rather, and tenacity. Even when we refused to allow you to even walk in our shadows, you followed close behind, believing that someday we would come to accept you and treat you like men and women. Your strength in the face of adversity cannot be understated. You are truly a great people, and we thank you so much. We publicly acknowledge black people for raising our children, attending to our sick, and preparing our meals while we were occupied with the trappings of the good life. Even during the times when we found pleasure in your women and enjoyment in seeing one of your men lynched, maimed, and burned, some of you continue to watch over us and our belongings. We simply cannot thank you enough. Your bravery on the battlefield, despite being classified as three-fifths of a man, was and still is outstanding and beyond the call of duty. We often watched in awe as you, as you went about your prescribed chores and assignments, sometimes laboring in the hot sun for 12 hours to assist us in realizing our dreams of wealth and good fortune. You were always there, and we thank you. Now that we control at least 90% of all the resources and wealth of this nation, we have black people to thank the most. You were there when it all began and you are still with us today, protecting us from those black people who have the tenacity or temerity to speak out against our past transgressions. How can we thank you for your dedication? You warned us about Denmark Vesey. You let us know about Gabriel Prosser's plans. You called our attention to Nat Turner, and you even sounded the alarm when old John Brown came calling on Harper's Ferry. Some of you still warn us today Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, as we look out upon our enormous wealth, and as we assess our tremendous control of the resources of this country, we can only think of the sacrifices you and your families made to make all of this possible. You are indeed fantastic, and we will forever be in your debt. To think of how you have looked out for us for hundreds of years, and to see you still doing the same thing today is simply amazing. Thank you for continuing to bring 95% of what you earn to our businesses. That is so gracious of you. Thanks for buying our heel figures, Karens, Nikes, and all of the other brands you so adore. Your purchases of these products really makes us feel that we are at least giving something back to you for your patronage. After all, in the past, the brands we put on you were quite painful, but those of today can be proudly worn because they give you a sense of self-esteem, right? But it's the least we can do for people who have treated us so well. Your superior athletes, entertainers, intellectuals, and business persons, both legal and illegal, exchange most of their money for our cars, jewelry, homes, and clothing. What a windfall they have provided for us. The less fortunate among you spend all they have at our neighborhood stores, enabling us to open even more stores. Sure, they complain about us, but they never do anything to hurt us economically. You are a very special people. Thank you. Oh yes, allow us to thank you for not bogging yourselves down with the business of doing business with your own people. We can take care of that for you. Please don't trouble yourselves with it. Yes, you were very successful at it after slavery ended and even as recently as 1960. But you know what happened when you began to build your own communities and do business with one another? Some of the lower ones of our kind burned you out time and time again. So why bother? In today's business environment, your own people will not support you anyway. You just keep doing business with us. It's safer that way. Besides, everything you need, we make anyway, even kente cloth. You just continue to chance, to dance, sing, fight, get high, go to prison, backbite, 
envy and distrust and hate one another. Have yourselves a good time. And this time, we'll take care of you. It's the least we can do, considering all you've done for us. Heck, you deserve it, black people, for your labor, which created our wealth, for your resisting the messages of troublemaking blacks like Washington, Delaney, Garvey, Bethune Tubman, and Truth, for fighting and dying on our battlefields. We thank you for allowing us to make, to move into your neighborhoods. We will forever be grateful to you for your unceasing desire to be near us and for hardly ever following through on your threats to our lack of reciprocity and equity. We thank you so much. We also appreciate your acquiescence to our political agendas, for abdicating your own economic self-sufficiency, and for working so diligently for the economic well-being of our people. You are real troopers. And even though the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were written for you, and many of your relatives died for the rights described therein, you did not resist when we changed those black rights to civil rights and allowed virtually every other group to take advantage of them as well. Black people, you are something else. Your dependence upon us to do the right thing is beyond our imagination. Irrespective of what we do to you and the many promises we have made and broken. But this time, we will make it right. We promise. Trust us. Tell you what. You don't need your own banks. Your own hotels. You can continue to stay in ours. You have no need for supermarkets when you can shop at ours 24 hours a day. Why should you even think about owning more banks? You have plenty now. And don't waste your energy trying to break into manufacturing. You've worked hard enough in our fields. Relax. Have a party. We'll sell you everything you need. And when you die, we'll even bury you at discount. Now, how's that for gratitude? Finally, the best part. You went beyond the pale and turned your children over to us for their education. With what we have taught them, it's likely they will continue in a mode similar to the one you have followed for the rest for the past 45 years. When Mr. Lynch walked the banks of the James River in 1712 and said he would make us a slave for 300 years, little did we realize the truth in his prediction. Just 13 more years and his promise will come to fruition. But with two generations of your children having gone through our education system, we can look forward to at least another 50 years of prosperity. Wow! Things could not be better. And it's all because of you. For all you have done, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, black Americans. You're the best friends any group of people could ever have. Sincerely, all other Americans. this message I want to end it on a positive note someone has put into a very eloquent story form some things that blacks whites browns reds and yellows need to know about black people this little this little uh, article is called a day of absence title, author, unknown. This is a story of a little boy named Theo who woke up one morning and asked his mother, Mom, what if there were no black people in the world? Well, his mother thought about that for a moment and then said, Son, follow me around today and let's just see what it would be like if there were no black people in the world. Mom said, Now, go get dressed and we will get started. Theo ran to his room to put on his clothes and shoes. His mother took one look at him and said, Theo, where are your shoes? And those clothes are all wrinkled, son. I must iron them. However, when she reached for the ironing board, it was no longer there. You see, Sarah Boone, a black woman, invented the ironing board. And Jan E. Melziger, a black man, invented the shoe lasting machine. Oh, well, she said. 
please go and do something to your hair. Theo ran in his room <clears throat> to comb his hair, but the comb was not there. You see, Walter Sammons, a black man, invented the comb. Theo decided to just brush his hair, but the brush was gone. You see, Lydia O. Newman, a black female, invented the brush. Well, this was a sight. No shoes, wrinkled clothes, hair a mess, even mom's hair, without the hair care invention of Madam C.J. Walker. Well, you get the picture. Mom told Theo, let's do our chores around the house and then take a trip to the grocery store. Theo's job was to sweep the floor. He swept and swept and swept. When he reached for the dustpan, it was not there. You see, Lloyd P. Ray, a black man, invented the dustpan. So he swept his pile of dirt over in the corner and left it there. He then decided to mop the floor, but the mop was gone. You see, Thomas W. Stewart, a black man, invented the mop. They yelled, Theo yelled to his mom, Mom, I'm not having any luck. Well, son, she said, let me finish washing these clothes and we will prepare a list for the grocery store. When the wash finished, she went to place the clothes in the dryer, but it was not there. You see, George T. Salmon, a black man, invented the clothes dryer. Anybody here use clothes dryers? You just knew a white person invented that, didn't you? Mom asked Theo to go out to go get a pencil and some paper to prepare their list for the market. So Theo ran for the paper and pencil, but noticed the pencil lid was broken. Well, he was out of luck because John Love, John Love, Love, <clears throat> a black man, invented the pencil sharpener. Mom reached for a pen, but it was not there because William Purvis, a black man, invented the fountain pen. These are historical truths. Somebody very cleverly put this into a little story form. As a matter of fact, Lee Burridge invented the typewriting machine and W.A. Lovett the advanced, advanced printing press. Theo and his mother decided to head out to the market. Well, when Theo opened the door, he noticed the grass was as high as he was tall. You see, the lawnmower was invented by John Burr, a black man. They made their way over to the car and found that it just wouldn't go. You see, Richard Spikes, a black man, invented the automatic gear shift and Joseph Gamel invented the supercharged system for internal combustion engines. They noticed that the few cars that, they, that were moving were running into each other and having wrecks because there was no traffic signals. You see, Garrett A. Morgan, a black man, invented the traffic light. Well, it was getting late, so they walked to the market, got their groceries, and returned home. Just when they were about to put away the milk, eggs, and butter, they noticed the refrigerator was gone. You see, John Standard, a black man, invented the refrigerator. So they just left the food on the counter. By this time, Theo noticed he was getting mighty cold. Mom went to turn up the heat. And what do you know? Alice Parker, a black female, invented the heating furnace. Even in the summertime, they would have been out of luck because Frederick Jones, a black man, invented the air conditioner. It was almost time for Theo's father to arrive home. He usually takes the bus. But there was no bus because its pressure, its precursor, was the electric trolley invented by another black man, Elbert R. Robinson. He usually takes the elevator from his office on the 20th floor, but there was no elevator. Elevator because Alexander Miles, a black man, invented the elevator. He also usually dropped off the office mail at a nearby mailbox, but it was no longer there because Philip Downing, a black man invented the letter drop mailbox and William Berry invented the postmarking and canceling machine. Now you didn't know this. And some of you going your butts to sleep while I'm reading this. Just like that first other thing I read. Black Americans, we thank you for going to sleep. Theo and his mother sat at the kitchen table with their head in their hands. When the father arrived, he asked, why are you sitting in the dark? Why? Because Lewis Howard Latimer, a black man, invented the light bulb filament. Theo quickly learned what it would be like if there were no black people in the world, especially if he were ever sick and needed blood. Charles Drew, a black 
scientists found a way to preserve and store blood, which led to his starting the world's first blood bank. And what if a family member had to have heart surgery? This would not have been possible without Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, a black doctor who performed the first open heart surgery. So, if you ever wonder, like Theo, where would we be without black folk? Well, it's pretty plain to see we would still be in the dark. seated be. I hope that you have been as blessed as I have been in giving this teaching. But anyway, for our television audience and for all of you here, I hope, as I said, that you've gained some insights out of this series. I hope that it's made a difference, a positive difference in your life. I actually believe without any question or doubt that there's going to be a change effected in the body of Christ that we cannot even comprehend at this time. This was, this was God's message to God's people. And woe be to us if we don't do something with it positive. The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And in order for it to do that, it has to start with me. It has to start with you. So it's time for each one to do a little introspection, a little inner investigation, to be absolutely sure that when people see you, they will know that you're his disciples because you'll operate out of love, not out of an inferiority complex, not out of a superiority complex, but out of a complex that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Well, saints, this concludes that the message of uh, Dr. Price's epic series, Race, Religion, and Racism. You heard him speak about uh, being denied um, access to, to another country because of these teachings. So it, it goes far. It, it, when I say epic, it, it, it went worldwide. And of course, those of you who listen to me on a regular basis or who know of Dr. Price, he passed away last year from COVID. Um, just getting ready to turn 90. And I tell you, he is truly missed. He has been a blessing in my life. His teachings has been a, a blessing in my life when I was studying as a minister and uh, what I learned from him is to teach Bible truth. If you stick with the scriptures, you can't go wrong. Uh, another favorite minister of mine passed away this year. Um, Bishop Fred A. Caldwell Sr. passed away back in July. I didn't find out until November and I was so devastated. I have also played his teachings on my platform as well. But saints, I tell you this, Fred Price opened the doors for a lot of churches throughout this world because during this series, a lot of ministers, and I'm talking about uh, Creflo Dollar as well, T.D. Jakes as well, started teaching about race, religion, and racism in their congregations and teaching the truth because a lot of people strayed away from it. And um, about racism in the church, they just didn't touch it. But when Dr. Price kicked that door in, 
a lot of God's ministers, not Satan's ministers, because I can tell you right now, there are still white ministers today who refuse to admit that they lied about racism, about black people. They refuse to admit it. So we know God didn't put them there. I can honestly say that Dr. Price was a true man of God. He was a man of integrity. His integrity meant more to him than anything. I can honestly tell you that him teaching the truth of the Bible meant more to him than anything. And his family who knows him better than everyone. His wife said this after he passed away. She said his integrity meant a lot to him. And when uh, CBS had given some false information out about him years ago, years ago, before he taught this epic series or, or either during, I'm not sure. So this was back in the nineties. She said he never got over that because he was concerned about his integrity and that people would, would not believe that he was a man of God. Now, even though he appeared to be arrogant. Dr. Price was filled with love. He was very giving. Him and his wife gave to the poor more than any ministry that I know of. And she is still giving away today. But saints, I, I hope this blessed you. If you want to buy the entire series, the Race, Religion, and Racism t series, you can go to faithdome.org and click on the store and type in race, religion, and racism and, and everything associated with that teaching will pop up, including these CDs. And by no means did I play the entire race, religion, and racism series, because I would have been, <laughs> we will be going on well until into 2023. However, because you guys have responded uh, so well to these series, I do intend to play some of the episodes that I did not share uh, regarding race. I didn't share any of the episodes regarding race in 2022, but I do intend to share some more of these, uh, the race, religion and racism series in 2023. I will complete my series entitled A Fate That Surpasses All Understanding and um, episode five will begin tomorrow. Yes, we will not be waiting until next weekend. We will or let's say I will share uh, episode five tomorrow, which is uh, New Year's Day. Yes, there is never a day that we should not share the word of God. So I hope you enjoyed this series. If you have any questions, feel please feel free to send me uh, an email and I promise you I will respond. And uh, I hope you and your family stay safe tonight. Please walk in love. It is rough out here. Uh, the devil is busy, but so is God. So, and you have to remember, Satan was defeated at the cross. When you are stabbed in the back, when you are talked about, when you are lied on, believe me, you are not going through it by yourself. I go through it. But my faith is stronger than the lies. And remember... We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our fight is with the devil. And he was defeated at the cross. He's mad because he was defeated at the cross and he doesn't have much longer to run loose on this earth. So saints, continue to walk in love. No matter what darts the devil throw at you, please walk in love. Don't get angry. Forgive. I don't care what someone has done to you. I don't care what someone has has said about you and you know it's a lie or it's been twisted. Forgive for yourself, not for that person. Forgive so that your heart can stay clean and so that your heart can stay right with God. It's okay to be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and walk in love. If you ever think I'm going to say something different, you are like Bishop Freddie Carway Sr. used to say, you are mushooking. Yes, you are. <laughs> Not mistaken, you are mushooking, baby. But um, I'm going to continue to walk in love. Uh, God grew my ministry in 2022. There is no doubt about it. He will grow it in 2023. Uh, my hope is that more listeners come on board. We are at 8,000. Um, we will probably be at 16,000 toward the end of 2023 to God be all the glory. I love me some Jesus. Do you hear me? Because he first 
love me. And I hope you love him. And if you don't know him, you better get to know him because I can tell you the signs are all around us about the end times. And I taught a full series on that in 2022. You can go through my podcast and look for the series and you will learn some information you probably don't know. And it's all biblical, all biblical. I don't know. I may teach some more uh, in 2023. God has given me a lot of revelation. He's given me uh, uh, a lot of sermons he want me to teach and a lot of information he wants me to share in 2023. And all I can do is write down the titles. And then when it's time for me to teach it, I do the research and then I share the information. So tomorrow, saints, um, we will continue the um, little small series I, I'm teaching about uh, a faith that surpasses all understanding. And with that said, saints, peace out. I hope you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode or any previous episodes, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially, because it has been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Or you can send your seed to me via Cash App. Dollar sign, Dr. Kamla D. That's dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D. Anything you choose to send will be greatly appreciated. Now until next time, saints, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.